This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first meal with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. Reserve the USS Shenzhou today for only $9.95 by visiting eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 251, The Pegasus. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, the Pegasus, the one where Riker's first days in Starfleet come back to haunt him. Plus, it's Captain Picard Day. Again. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... But first... A word from Blue Apron. A better way to cook. You know, Ken, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Which they do by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and getting people to actually start cooking. We've talked about this before. They've got... Uh, 150 different local farms, fisheries, and ranchers with whom they've partnered all across the U.S. Their seafood is sustainably sourced. Their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals. And all their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Now, that's how good the ingredients are. I will say one of my favorite things about the ingredients, you know, besides how good they are, uh, you know the little packets that you get, right, John, that the ingredients come in? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's big packets. Like, obviously, if they're sending you meat, they're not going to put that in a tiny little cup. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, sometimes the butter that you need or the salt that you need or the things like that, uh, they come in these little packets. And that, to me, is one of my favorite things. Because when I go to cook a meal from Blue Apron, there's no, like, oh, man, I'm halfway through it and, and, and I, I don't have sage. And, of course, then there's no chance they have parsley, rosemary, or thyme at that point if I don't have the sage. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Two shows nightly, sometimes four. Yeah. So, um, so that's one of my favorite things, honestly. They send you all of the ingredients, and they send, you, they send them to you pre-measured so you don't have to worry about whether you have enough of something or, you know, you don't have that embarrassing thing where you don't even have what you need. I mean, I, I, personally, I love that. Yeah, I, I like it that uh, when I cook, there's no waste, and I have exactly the ingredients that I need, and good, high-quality ingredients. You mentioned the butter. Good butter. I've been enjoying that butter. <laughs> I'll just say straight up. Yeah. Okay, please don't just eat the cup of butter. Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, okay. No, it'd, yeah. it'd be good if you didn't, because then, of course, you don't have uh, what you need for, right. the, uh, for the recipe. But that, honestly, is just one of the, uh, one of the, one of the things that's fantastic about cooking with Blue Apron. Yeah, and you know, look at the cost of doing this. So those who spend a lot at restaurants or at high-end grocery chains can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal that you get to make fresh at home. <laughs> this is the part where I am uh, I am Ken, your waiter. Let me tell you, John, uh, some of the meals that you might be enjoying with Blue Apron. 
this is the part where I, I sort of mentally picture that and I get very excited about this. So I think people probably look forward to this part of the show as much as any part of the show just to hear the nummy noises you're going to make. Okay. All right. Lay it on me. Lay it on Here's me. Here's some of what you could enjoy. Uh, cheesy chicken and black bean enchiladas with salsa verde. Mm-hmm. I get down with that. Shrimp marinara with spaghetti, spinach, and parsley. Yes, yes, I feel you. Yes. Okay, here's the one, I think, because I know about your southern heritage. Maple gravy smothered pork chops with stewed collard greens and sweet potatoes. Oh, oh yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Did somebody get Yahtzee? Yeah. And finally, spiced cauliflower and pepper with jasmine rice and cilantro yogurt sauce. Done. I'll take it all. There you go. Well, of course, you can take it all. In fact, would you please tell everyone how they could take it all, sir? Yes, I will. You can check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first meal with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. And a big thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. You, uh, you got a little drool, like right, like right oh, there. Oh, right, right yeah. there. Oh, tell you what, no, right yeah, there. you take care of that. I'm going to tell people how to get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. Three two three five two two five six four one is the phone number to call. Three two three five two two five six four one. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Or I might just look at pictures of your food, because sometimes you send me pictures of your food. <laughs> please, please send John pictures of your food, because it just makes him just so darn happy. Hey, you know what makes every... This is the other big part that people wait for, by the way, on the show, John. That's mm. the part where you do trivia for an episode. You make nummy noises, then you do trivia. I I don't even know why I'm here, man. It's, <laughs> it's you, you, you all the time. Uh, won't you please, please, everyone, with the trivia knowledge you have to drop. Well, that was really kind of you, Ken. Thank you. Trivia for today's episode, The Pegasus. It was written by Ronald D. Moore. Now, the last episode for which he wrote the teleplay was Gambit Part 2. And it probably won't surprise you to know that he wrote The First Duty, a little exploration of the truth featuring Wesley Crusher. Now, he says that uh, that there was this book that he really liked. Uh, then it became a movie, Raise the Titanic, that inspired him to write this script. So we can talk a little bit more about the uh, plot line there and how that might tie in. This episode is directed by LeVar Burton. He directed two episodes of Next Gen. This is the second one. The first one was Second Chances, another Riker-centric story, the one in which we met Thomas, that other Riker. All right, ship names. I love my ship names. Well, uh, Pegasus, go read some Greek mythology. Or watch Clash of the Titans, whichever, whichever suits you. And you can uh, find out about the winged horse, Pegasus. Uh, the Pegasus is an Oberth-class ship, just like the Grissom that we first saw in Star Trek Three, and then used so many times afterward. We also have mention of the Crazy Horse, named after the leader of the Lakota Native American tribe, who is victorious at the Battle of Little Bighorn. 
He was killed by a military guard at the age of 36 in 1877 at Camp Robinson in Nebraska. That ship, of course, is depicted by the model here of the Excelsior, another one we've seen many times. <laughs> many, yeah. many times. It's yes. like they built one model and thought, yeah, we're good, right? Yeah, here, this is Starfleet over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, Ken, if you've been a longtime listener of Mission Log, and I think you have been, um, <laughs> you uh, you might know that whenever I say uh, we don't break the timeline, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I prepare to break the timeline. Um, and I'm doing it this week because I know that I will hear about it if I don't mention it. Uh, this episode, the Pegasus, uh, the plot line of this is actually used in the final episode of Enterprise called These Are the Voyages. So the story here with Riker struggling with a decision is partly played out in that Enterprise episode in which he runs a holodeck simulation to show a voyage of the NX-01. So there you go. Big, big tie-in in the production history of Star Trek. Oh, man, you're blowing my mind right now. Because mm-hmm. I was going to say, this actually, you're not breaking the timeline because Enterprise, of course, happened before. Yeah, right. But if right. Riker is running a holodeck simulation, then that would come after this. So yes. you have, in fact, broken the timeline. Well, it, it would come during. Like, here's the thing you could actually take that episode of uh, Enterprise, mm-hmm. you can just stop watching the Pegasus right in the middle, pop in that episode, and then come back to the Pegasus and finish that out. Go, okay, now I see how he made his decision. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll, apparently, I'll have to watch that someday. Yeah, maybe. Give it a decade. <laughs> All right. But look, I got some other tie-ins for you, too. Okay. Right. So, you remember that time that Jordy and Ensign Rowe thought they were dead? Yes. Okay. It was all because of a Romulan phase inverter, the thing that would allow them to pass through matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that technology repeated here. Also, the duonetic field was a reference to Dr. Daystrom's duotronic technology from, uh, it was this episode of TOS, uh, the ultimate computer. The ultimate computer. Thank you for that. No problem. Uh, all those props for Captain Picard Day uh, were actually made by kids. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I wondered about that, honestly, because the coloring, the coloring was kid level coloring. Right. You know, because right. like, when you have an adult trying to color the way a kid colors, oh. it never looks like a kid coloring. It always looks like an adult trying to color like a kid. Right. And honestly, right. the 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 just just I have no idea how many markers they went through to make that paper, <laughs> Captain Picard. But that right. just felt like that felt like that felt like a little kid's work. Way yeah. to go. Yeah. Super duper. Yeah, it's really good. So the prop master recruited kids from a couple of schools and, mm-hmm. and then he had his own children make some, too. So it was all these genuine real life elementary school age kids who made all that that we saw on the table. Very cool. Yeah. We have three guest stars to talk about. We have Nancy Vauter as Admiral Blackwell. Her biggest claim to fame was appearing as a recurring character on L.A. Law, but that's about it, except for a couple of other guest roles in her professional on-camera career. And this episode of Next Gen is her final credit. We also have Terry O'Quinn as Admiral Pressman. Now, Terry is probably best known for being on Lost, But he's done just so much TV, it's hard to narrow down. He's been recurring on The West Wing, Alias Earth 2, memorable stints on The X-Files. He's 
kind of done at all. And he was really well liked on this episode of Next Gen as well. And Ron Moore wanted to bring him back on Deep Space Nine, but that opportunity never panned out. And finally, we have Michael Mack as the Romulan Cyril. Michael had a handful of smaller credits as an actor in the 80s, then found himself living in Washington, D.C. without that many prospects and desperately wanting to move to Los Angeles. Now, a professor at Maryland University suggested that he submit a script into a competition. Then, if he did well, contact the offices of NextGen, where they had an open submission policy. He did, and he got in touch with Jerry Taylor, who brought him in as an intern in the writer's room, and he immediately said that he wanted to act, (laughs) and they gave him the chance to audition. Now, the role of Cyril was written for a woman, but everyone felt this was a perfect match after Jerry suggested that they be colorblind and genderblind in their final decision. This made Michael the first African-American to play a Romulan, And it also makes him the first writing intern to land a role on the show. Since then, he has made numerous TV appearances, and we will see him one more time in a brief role in Star Trek Generations. It is Captain Picard Day. Also, for Riker, it is your past comes back to haunt you day. It's Captain Picard Day again? It feels like we just finished the Captain Picard Day cake from last year. Captain really doesn't like it, though Counselor Troy says it's one of the kids' favorite things. He's a role model. And besides, number one thinks it's hilarious. Now Picard has to pick winners for the Captain Picard Day art contest, but hold on, incoming message from Admiral Blackwell. Priority one. Blackwell is all business. She's pulling the Enterprise from its scheduled duties to rendezvous with the starship Crazy Horse. Someone from Starfleet Intelligence will transfer to the Enterprise and explain what's what. Also, you're allowed to exceed the new warp speed limits. You can't drive 5.5 on an assignment like this. When the two ships rendezvous, there's a weird vibe once the Starfleet Intelligence guy beams aboard. He looks like... someone. Someone's stepfather, maybe? Eh, I can't get a lock on it. Anyway, Riker knows exactly who he is. Admiral Eric Pressman. Except he used to be Captain Pressman, of the starship Pegasus. That was Riker's first post, making Pressman Riker's first captain. And they'll be going back to the Pegasus. She's still out there. And the Romulans have found her. Act 1. Still out there, the Pegasus was lost 12 years ago, along with most of her crew. Captain Pressman, his helmsman, Riker, and seven other crew members made it to an escape pod. While no wreckage was found, they did see the ship explode, an apparent warp core breach. The ship was declared destroyed, and the rest of her crew lost. Then, three days ago, Starfleet Intelligence got word that the Romulans had found a piece of the Pegasus in the Devilin system. Now they're trying to find the rest. Pressman says the Pegasus was a prototype ship with lots of technology the Romulans would love to grab... Now the Enterprise has to find it first, retrieve it if possible, destroy it if necessary. All of this seems to make Riker uncomfortable, but, you know, orders. The Devlin system seems sort of like an asteroid field. Almost as soon as the Enterprise arrives, a Romulan warbird decloaks dead ahead. It powers up weapons, then Commander Cyril of the Romulan vessel Terex hails the Enterprise. Hey, Enterprise, what are you doing here? 
Hey, I know, right? What are you doing here? Studying gaseous anomalies? You? Oh, wow, same thing. Want to study together? No. Bye. Great, so now the Enterprise has to search for the Pegasus, which the Terex has been looking for for a couple of days, plus they have to keep an eye out for Romulans. Eh, well, nothing to it but to do it. Let's get started. Later in Ten Ford, Pressman and Riker are making small talk, though Riker's heart's not really in it. Do you really think we're going to find the Pegasus again? And what about the experiment? Do you think we're going to find that too? Pressman answers with a noncommittal, Maybe. Riker and Pressman both say they think about that last day a lot, but they seem to do so differently. Riker wonders whether they did the right thing, whether they went about it the right way. Pressman says they did, and they may be able to finish what they started, if the experiment is still there. This seems to horrify Riker. You want to try again? Pressman says yes, and so does Admiral Rayner, head of Starfleet Security. Seriously, though, no one else can know about this. Not even Captain Picard. Those are Rayner's orders. Relax, though. It'll be fine. There will be no one to stop them this time. Act 2. Small talk between Pressman and Picard this time, talking about what a guy Will Riker is. Pressman is amazed that Picard chose Riker as his first officer without ever having met him. But Picard says he was impressed with something that happened on Altair 3, when Riker was first officer of the Hood. Riker refused to let his captain beam down to a crisis situation, risk court-martial to stop him. And that's when Picard knew he'd found his guy. He wanted someone who would stand up to him, who would be more concerned with the safety of the ship and accomplishing the mission than with how it might look on his record. Pressman's view is polar opposite. He thinks officers need to trust their captains, need to follow orders without question, or lives may be lost. Eh, sorry, I'm a bit testy. This mission has brought up some old ghosts for me, says Pressman. Yeah, says Picard, about that. Uh, the record of your final hours of the Pegasus is kind of vague. Can you tell me more? Nope. But I can tell you this. Twelve years ago, Will Riker was exactly the trust-your-captain-follow-his-orders kind of officer I needed. Without his loyalty, no one would have survived. Speaking of Riker, there he is now, in sickbay. Broken ribs thanks to a bit of physical training with Worf. And boy, is he beating himself up. I should have known better. I should have done the right thing. Beverly says everybody makes mistakes. He'll do better next time. Now go and take your subtext with you. On the bridge, it looks like the Enterprise has found the Pegasus. Sort of inside an asteroid. There are some cracks in the asteroid that could have allowed the Pegasus to slip in. They've got a new problem, though. The Romulans have noticed the Enterprise noticing this asteroid. Riker suggests destroying the asteroid, though Pressman says retrieval is the top priority. Instead, Picard suggests a way to hide the Pegasus' signature until the Enterprise can return. Done and done, just in the nick of time. Act 3. Of course, the Enterprise has to keep looking like it's looking for the Pegasus, otherwise the Romulans will be tipped off. They'll come back here at 0800 hours to look for the Pegasus again. Time now for some less than small talk between Pressman and Riker. Destroy the Pegasus? We have a chance to change the balance of terror. I'm sorry, balance of power in this quadrant. But not without the Pegasus. Then Pressman mellows a bit. I know it's been tough for you, keeping Picard and the others in the dark on this. But you know it's necessary. 
I know you think it's necessary, says Riker. And Pressman's like, whoa, wow, you have changed. And it's good. Pick a position, stand by it. It's a good change. Just make sure you don't change the wrong things, like your sense of duty, your sense of loyalty. Riker says those things haven't changed, which Pressman is glad to hear. Twelve years ago, older, more seasoned officers turned from their duty. Then Pressman apologizes. He says he knows he can count on Riker again. From his former captain to his current captain, Riker stops by Picard's quarters to drop off a report. Funny, Picard's been reading an interesting report of his own. In its final hours, there was a mutiny on the Pegasus? And why did Picard not hear about this from Riker? Why did he have to call in favors to get the record of the proceedings declassified so he could read them? Weird, right? Especially when we're racing the Romulans to find equipment nobody knows about on a ship that everybody thought had exploded but hadn't. Now, I've read the report, but why don't you tell me what happened? Riker says the Pegasus was running experiments on the engine. Convinced that he was jeopardizing the ship, the first officer, the chief of engineering, and other officers turned on Pressman. Seven months out of the academy, words like duty and honor were still ringing in Riker's ears, so he grabbed a phaser to defend Pressman. It was a firefight all the way to the escape pod. Five minutes later, Pressman, Riker, and a few others saw the Pegasus explode. But there's more to the report Picard was reading. It says here that the surviving crew of the Pegasus seemed to be withholding vital information. While further investigation had been recommended, there was no further investigation. Then this report was classified, then it was buried. Riker suggests Picard take up any further questions with Pressman, but Picard is taking them up with Will, his first officer. Why did the mutiny happen? What is Pressman so eager to find? Riker says he's under Pressman's direct orders not to discuss it. Okay, he's an admiral, I'm a captain, I get it. I'll just have to stay in the dark. And I'll trust that you will not put this ship at risk. And if I find that that trust has been misplaced, I'll have to find a new first officer. Dismissed. Of course, Picard's not done. He puts in another call to Admiral Blackwell. But she won't touch it. This goes all the way up to Starfleet Intelligence. You would do well to follow Pressman's orders. Starfleet out. Ah, well, there's stuff to do on the bridge. They're back to the asteroid, where they think they found the Pegasus. Of course, they'll need to go in, to be sure. The rock's too thick to transport through. There's too much technical gobbledygook for a shuttle to make the trip. But that fissure is pretty big. Pressman says they'll just have to take the Enterprise in. Nobody likes this idea except for Pressman. But he is the Admiral. Over Picard's objection, noted in the ship's log... They make their way into the asteroid. Act 4. Ships in the magnetic field density are causing something like turbulence, but they're making it. And there, sort of poking out of the asteroid, is the Pegasus. It's intact, though 65% of it is sort of in the asteroid. Most of the main engineering looks good, though. Pressman says he and Riker will go. Alone. Exposed to the vacuum of space for 12 years, everything in engineering is perfectly preserved. Even the dead crew members. And the experiment. Well, crud. Riker had hoped it wouldn't be here. That it would have been destroyed. Now he's got to make a decision. And his decision is this. He cannot let Pressman start his experiments again. 
Look how many people died. So how many more have to die? Pressman says they died because they were disloyal, but Riker says they weren't. They were being loyal to a treaty that the Federation signed with the Romulans some 60 years ago. Pressman says that treaty has tied the Federation's hands for too long. He was trying to level the playing field, but fine. You want to help me? Whatever. You're still under orders not to speak of this. To anyone. Their talk is interrupted by a shaking of the ship's structure and a call from the Enterprise. Prepare to beam back. Pressman acknowledges. Two people and one piece of equipment to beam up. Back on the Enterprise. Hey, isn't that molten rock where the exit used to be? Yes. Yes, it is. The Romulans have sealed the chasm and trapped the Enterprise inside the asteroid. Act 5. Commander Cyril of the Romulan vessel Terex on screen. You seem to be in a bind. Can we help? Picard asks whether the Romulans are responsible for that bind, a point on which Cyril is noncommittal. Tell you what we will do, though. We'll beam your crew aboard our ship, take you back to Romulus, and... Eventually, you'll get to go home. Thanks. No. Bye. Picard's looking for options on how to get the Enterprise out of the asteroid. Riker has an idea. Why not use the prototype Federation cloaking device Admiral Pressman just brought back from the Pegasus? A cloaking device? Wow. That's what you've been after? That's against the Treaty of Algeron, the one where the Federation agreed to not develop cloaking technology. Pressman says that that treaty was a huge mistake, but Picard disagrees. Not only has it kept the peace for 60 years, as a Starfleet captain, it was Pressman's job to defend and uphold that treaty. Pressman deems that enough. He has taken command of the Enterprise, except, oh, wait a second, no, he isn't. Worf refuses to follow Pressman's orders to turn control over to him. And that's the ballgame. Except for the part where a cloaking device only hides things. They're pretty well hidden already. How's that going to get them out? Riker says this does more than cloak things. It changes their molecular composition. If hooked up to the Enterprise, the phasing cloak would let them fly right through and out of the rock walls of the asteroid. And with that, everyone, Picard, Riker, Data, Worf, John Warfarin, John Emdahl, John Big Booty, I'm sorry, Big Booty, everyone flies across the asteroid dimension and into space where the Romulans are. Picard orders the ship to decloak. Pressman argues, but Picard says it is time that everyone, even, and perhaps especially the Romulans, know the truth. He tells the Romulans that their government will be contacted shortly about this incident. Picard then charges Pressman with violation of the Treaty of Algeron and has him thrown into the brig. Riker says he'll have to be arrested too, and Picard agrees. In the brig... Picard stops by to talk to Riker. Pressman will likely be court-martialed, as will a few people in Starfleet intelligence. Riker will have a lot of questions to answer as well, but given how young he was and how well he served since, some of his respect may be lost, but he did the right thing now. When the time came to make a decision, he made the right one. Picard says as long as he can still do that, he deserves to wear the Starfleet uniform. And Picard would still be proud to have Riker as his first officer. And with that, the captain springs his number one from the pokey. The end. Nicely done. Uh, by the way, I, I actually, I really love Captain Picard Day. I've seen, 
I think I'd seen a meme around somewhere, and I'd forgotten what episode that came from. So it was really pleasant to see that at the beginning of this one. Um, it, it's just a little humorous moment that I think helps to paint a broader picture of life on the Enterprise and the people aboard. We we rarely ever see that school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where Alexander is spending weeks on end making a little uh, <laughs> sculpture out of clay. Um I did think, you know, it, we talked in trivia about the, the props that are on the table and how those were made by kids. The one thing that I don't like is the sign, the the big the banner across the windows. I thought it was a little weird. I don't understand why it looks like it was pulled from a burning house. Um, that's <laughs> I, I just don't get that. I did not notice that. I'll have to go back and check that out. Um, it just it looks singed and like there's soot all over the, the edges. Yeah, I will say I did like when he was talking to Admiral Blackwell and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a role model. Right. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah. Uh, what I can't believe, though, is they seriously make Captain Picard choose a winner. A winner. Oh, a winner. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. I, I understand why we don't always want to give participation trophies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if if the whole point of Captain Picard Day is all the kids love you, all the kids look up to you, if then your response is, well, that's very nice, but some of them I love more than others, and let me give an award yes. to the ones I do. Seriously? Because he <laughs> right. gave it to a seven-year-old, which I'm sorry can't have been as good as something made by a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old, right? I mean, I find it hard to believe that a seven-year-old made the best, like, artistic whatever, unless you're going to take mm-hmm. into account like you know age and ability in which case how are you choosing first place second place how about maybe captain picard sits at his desk for a day and makes ribbons for everybody and gives those to them see oh, he can make yeah. stuff for them too which i'm sure he has all the time in the world for uh, that yeah, said it won't happen at all yeah i'm thinking of making one of those paper picards for my wall I'm oh gonna, good call i'm gonna need yeah, some good call some crappy markers that'll run out halfway through but I will keep, yeah. like, you know, those those lines. I will keep those lines there. Good. Yeah. Good. I like that. It's a good plan. Um, I'm just going to say that whatever uh, those kids are making, whether it's the 7-year-old or the 12-year-old, um, it'll be better than what Al- whatever Alexander makes. Oh, stop. You don't know. Oh. No. You don't know. <laughs> he might have made something really – he might he might actually be angry because he can't believe the 7-year-old won over him. Yeah. Or, or Alexander's still making it. <laughs> he's, he's just still trying to make it out of that's clay. That's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. What is it? The perfect is the enemy of the good. And that's why he has never mm-hmm. once participated in the Captain Picard Day uh, art extravaganza. Because mm-hmm. it's never completely right. And, uh, you know, no. if Worf has taught him anything, uh, there's no room for ninth place. Oh, oh we, we should stop picking on Alexander. I feel so bad for this kid. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that that scene at the top of the show was written because of Frakes's Patrick Stewart impression. Nice. So yeah, the teaser in the original draft would have been the cast doing another play, uh, this time Pygmalion. And I, I think I think it was Michael Pillar. It might have been Jerry Taylor, who probably just had the the good sense to say, "Please, not another play, not not another classic. Just let's do something fun and light." Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had mentioned Raise the Titanic. Do you remember that movie or the book? I mean, the the book was a big hit. The movie is kind of terrible, even though it's got a great cast. Uh, Jason Robards, Richard Jordan, mm-hmm. Ann Archer, Alec Guinness is in it. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he did some and, crap movies, too. 
This <laughs> one about like a space knight or something that he was like, oh, you ever what? read his letters that he was writing around that time? He's just like, I can't believe this. And they're handing me like terrible pages and I really should just walk and accept him in the middle of the desert. So maybe that's not a good idea. I'm only making half yep. that up, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, if you read those. But yeah, so the, the book was a big hit. The movie, eh, but, it, you know, if you're like me and you're eight years old watching it when it came out, it was kind of mind blowing. And the, the idea is that uh, you have a, a U.S. team trying to find and then, well, as the title would imply, raise the Titanic mm-hmm. before a Soviet team can do that because there's some element, there's something they need on board that is in huge supply that can be turned into, I, I believe it's a weapon that can shoot down missiles or something like that. It is the, the, the science fiction premise of an already kind of crazy movie. So sure, yeah, there, there's a, a tie-in to this episode. I also thought about movies like uh, The Final Countdown, um, The Philadelphia Experiment, mm. and, and of course, you know, the, the various versions of that urban legend that get told is that you know, the, the ship disappeared and then it reappeared and there were men embedded in the deck plating because they had warped through time and space and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. So, yeah, I thought about that. There was an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, that they did that. Remember? Yes, there was. I can't remember yeah. which episode it was because, hi, it's me. But I remember they were like walking down the hall and there's like a woman sort of like half stuck in the um, half stuck in the hallway floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe uh, maybe the next phase. It might be the next phase. That yeah, that ma- that makes not, sense. Though. But I don't. Maybe I don't not. know. Yeah, yeah, it could. Yeah, it could be any of the you know hundred whatever episodes we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that somebody will correct us. Um, it, it didn't take long to dispatch that warp speed limit, but at least they addressed it. <laughs> addressed you it know? by saying we're going to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they didn't mm-hmm. just ignore it. They said we're going to ignore it, and there's a reason. Yep. Because we have yep, to hurry up and good. find this thing that's been lost for twelve years. Yeah, and and again. Oh, man, Starfleet with the flair for the dramatic. Mm-hmm. So we don't announce who's coming on board. Just beam him up and surprise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this is a Ronald D. E. Moore thing, right? I mean, we didn't even know what the experiment was until literally Act 5. I mean, if you right. know your Star Trek history and you know about the Treaty of Algeron, then you know, oh, oh, oh so they're working on a cloaking thing, right? If you know all that stuff, but if you don't know all that stuff, they literally do not tell you until act five what the experiment is. And that just, it seems to me, whenever I, whenever I write a recap, whenever I write a recap for episodes that he's done, I have to Mm -hmm. leave extra time because he is, man, does he, he just writes and writes and writes and he just writes more stuff (laughs) in and there's lots of talking. You can't, you can't just say, and then they talk. You have to say, well, they talk and they talk about this thing that's going to be important later. And so, yeah, here's more words about the words, which I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, I mean, he, he is a, um, well, he is a writer. He's not just writing television. He's a writer who really Mm -hmm. revels in the. He revels in the reveal. He revels in the keeping you guessing thing. Yeah, very true. Um, oh, and, and this was interesting to me that that uh, for Picard, mutiny on a Starfleet ship is unthinkable, unthinkable. Now, keeping secrets, totally not unthinkable, totally a thing they do all the time. But mutiny, mutiny is unthinkable. It struck me as really weird, actually, that he even thought mutiny was unthinkable because, you know, mutiny predates the original series. 
mean, everybody remembers. Well, everybody remembers Michael Burnham, the mutineer, and all of the trouble that hmm. you know she got us into, starting a war with the Klingons. Hmm. And and, what? and what's odd is Picard is a history buff. You would think that he would remember that. Because that was, he even knows about James T. Kirk for crying out loud. But like, you remember, I mean, Burnham couldn't go any place without people going, oh, the mutineer. And yet Picard's like, mutiny? What? Yeah. (laughs) And that was so long before this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not ringing a bell. Really? Really? (laughs) Yeah. Usually I'm the one who that's a problem with. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Maybe in the proper, maybe in the proper context, John, maybe Mm -hmm. in the proper context. You would, Maybe, you would remember that. I see. Okay. I think that's a clue, that word as well, context. <laughs> Might be. Uh, look, here's, here's something they did notice that I did pick up on. Uh, Picard, he's chowing down on sashimi. I know. And he has got quite a spread. He's got a big bowl of rice. He's got some other bowl of something i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna say maybe tonkatsu on the side and uh, look now we're talking uh although very sorry livingston about that scene <laughs> it yeah. was quite the it, it was a bit like going it was a bit like you and i have been doing all you can eat sushi place before oh have we yeah we, we've actually been a few times yeah and what's amazing to me and i mean you know offense like i don't i don't mm-hmm. know how you do it because i've seen you order and, yeah. and like you order so much stuff. I'm like, well, he doesn't want to bother her again later. Is, is what? My thinking. <laughs> and then like the waitress comes back and you're like, oh, and three of those. And then, and then like she's gone for a while and you come. Picard had a spread there as if, you know, he didn't want to bother the waitress again or something. Like, it's hard for me yeah. to imagine him standing at the replicator going, yeah, just, you know, just give me all of it. Just like all the sashimi, all yeah, because yeah. I'm about to tear my first officer a new one, and so that's going to work up an appetite, right? I guess I'm going to be I'm going to be sure I'm fortified before, yeah. I uh, look, man. This may be one of the first times I've really related to Picard. <laughs> so, you know, well, he can only have sushi every day, so yeah, yeah. You really want, yeah. You want to load up when he gets a chance. Oh man. Uh, by the way, uh, dead bodies in the Pegasus for 12 years. Yeah, perfect, huh? perfectly preserved, though. They looked good. They've been exposed they to the vacuum good. of space. That's what they well, said. It, it, everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Hmm. Just don't. Just okay. don't. All right. I did wonder, though, like if it was one of those, like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark things where as soon as they then re- re- repressurize that section, like, should yeah. they have all fallen to dust? Should they be thawing well, now? Should right. they be falling over? I don't even know what happens. When right. that kind of thing happens. Um, I got to say, I think this may be, since Balance of Terror, mm-hmm. this may be the best encounter with the Romulans that we've had. And this this is not a better one than Balance of Terror, because Balance of Terror is just amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But this, I mean, th- this had everything. This had jabs. Because Picard's there, and he's like, hello, I am a very pleasant person. What are you doing here? And, uh, and, and, and Sorrell says, I'm studying a great big windbag. I'm sorry, a gaseous mm-hmm. anomaly. What did I oh, say? My bad. Yep. And Picard's like, yep. oh, really? Because that's what I'm doing, too. And there's like, there's subtext, there's jabs, there's menace. And then when it came to it, the Romulans are like, you know what? Sick of it. I'm just going to seal them up. I'm just going to seal them up in there. You and Romulans that actually did something in this episode. Um, they still decorate like they're in a mid-80s restaurant, but wow, Cyril was absolutely <laughs> awesome. I mean, as a bad guy, yeah. I mean, this was probably not since Mark Leonard, honestly, did I see a Romulan on, on, on screen that I'm like, okay, 
here's somebody that yeah. I would actually be interested in knowing more about because yeah. he under he underplayed his menace in a way that made it three times as menacing as when the Romulans say we're back. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it, it was perfect. It was so perfect. I I love it. Um, a question at the end of all of this: uh, Is anything here going to come back to bite Riker? I mean, he was in the brig. And then Picard was just like, get out of there. Come on. Yeah. Come on, you old number one. Yeah. Well, apparently he's going to have to answer a lot of questions. Uh, do you think we're going to see that? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I'm assuming that's You, you don't think that maybe they'll just... Extend Like, maybe they'll take Riker away for a few weeks, and we won't see him. And the, every time they refer to him, like, oh, he's, he's back at Starfleet answering a lot of questions. I, I, I doubt it. I, okay. I Somehow I doubt it. Time's running out, dude. I don't think I don't think Frakes was going to go off for four weeks of the last season. All right, all right, to say so. Um, oh, and I, I like that. Uh, well, I don't know that I like, but I'm a little concerned that Admiral Pressman says I have a lot of friends at Starfleet Command. It, it, well, it worries me because it means there are a lot of people who are totally cool with violating a treaty. They're totally cool with him with what he does. If he says, like, I got a lot of friends that, that people know about this, people absolutely know, and they are cool with it. We might want to bring that up again next segment. Okay. I think we can. Um, oh, and, and I like that uh, I, I like that Picard really leaves Riker with, you know, the, the lesson here. You chose to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, I mean, it was 12 years later, but but good job, Riker. You, you just you came around and you you told the truth after a decade. Good job. Remember how cool Han Solo thought he was, landing the Falcon in an asteroid? And Ensign just did that, with a ship the size of a small town. Hashtag, just saying. We will continue with the flight of the Pegasus in just a moment, but first... Ooh, ooh, a whole new flight thing to tell you about. This is really exciting. It is. So um, you've heard us wax poetic about our excitement for the official Star Trek Starships collection from Eagle Moss, our good friends over there. And there's something new because there's new Star Trek um, officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss. Um Here's the deal. The, this special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from Star Trek Discovery, and each one has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. Now, a lot of people love the tiny little starships. You can get like, you know, a hundred of them on a table, right? Uh, these are not the tiny little starships, though. This is kind of exciting. I love the tiny little starships. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but I'm a fan of the of, of the larger ships, uh, the XL. Uh, they sometimes call them. Um, you know, about eight, eight and a half inches, depending on which one you're talking about. Uh, today, we are talking about the Shenzhou uh, NCC one two two seven. This is the larger size, almost eight inches. Uh, you know, from the front of the saucer to the rear of the nacelles. Uh, this is the one uh, commanded by Captain Giorgio, and we'll not say anything about how that command went for people <laughs> who haven't watched Discovery for whatever reason. I will say, though, this is our first ship in Discovery. And so it makes perfect sense that this would be the first one that uh, 
that they would tackle from Discovery as well. Each ship comes with a stand, as they tend to do, because you don't want your ship just, you know, laying there on the table. Additionally, it comes with one of those awesome magazines that I love so much, talking about how, you know, the ship was made, how the ship was designed, and uh, and then, of course, giving you some in-universe information as well. And it's worth noting that these are coming in limited quantities starting in early 2018. So now, right now, is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship, the USS Shenzhou, for only $9.95 with free shipping. That ship itself will be sent to you on or before January 31st, 2018. New models will then ship monthly and be delivered directly to your door. Subscribers also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every Starship in the series, along with free shipping. And as is true to the way Eagle Moss does things, you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. I have a lot of friends at Starfleet Command. This worries me, said John Champion, because it means there are a lot of people who are totally cool with violating a treaty. Do you think there are a lot of people who are totally cool with violating a treaty, or do you think there are a lot of people who are just hands-off when it comes to Starfleet intelligence? I think it's all of the above, because there are people at Starfleet intelligence who know what he's up to, who Mm -hmm. put him up to this mission, and think that going there and retrieving this thing is a better idea than... I mean. Arguably a better idea than letting it fall into Romulan hands, but a better idea than just, say, like, scrapping the whole thing and destroying it. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned about this hmm. because, uh, yeah, it, it means that this, uh, I hate to sound too conspiratorial, but it, it, it runs deep, you know. See, I, I wonder if it actually runs that deep, though, or if it's just it runs secretly from the top. Like if intelligence has cultivated an air of fear around them, like if I asked you if Blackwell knew what they were up to, do you think Mm -hmm. Blackwell did know what they were up to? Or do you think Blackwell was just like, that's some spook stuff spook in the, uh, you know, in in the way that people talk about the CIA and uh, MI6. I mean, that's that's just like some serious spook stuff. And so they don't, they don't, (laughs) she's not going to cross that. This is coming from Starfleet Intelligence. We don't play with Starfleet Intelligence. I would suggest you, you know, keep your eyes forward, your head down, and do what they say. Well, see, that's my worry, though, because, you know, would I think that she actually knows the details of this? The trouble is now that once it's been introduced, you can't help but be suspicious of everybody. Mm. That's the problem with this kind of thing. And... And let's even say that she's not. And let's say that a handful of other admirals or, or people in the upper echelons of the, the structure of Starfleet don't know. There are enough who do who have the ability to push around and give orders to people who don't. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you could have uh, you could have had the, the admiral come on board and not deal with Riker, but grab. 20 other people who have no idea what that piece of equipment is. Uh, don't don't take Jordy. Uh, don't take Data. And don't take, I'm going to even say Barclay, 
don't yeah, take well, those don't, three don't with take you. Barclay. No, because he's actually. No. I mean, he's not. He's not very self assured, but he's he's smart as a whip. He's smart. Yeah. Yeah. He's wicked smart. So, uh, but you could take a bunch of other people. Hey, you could take Picard, and you could say <laughs> that is a that is a prototype Earl Grey tea maker. Oh. We'll have to plug this in when we get back to the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Maybe don't take him then. Not if you're going to tell him that story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's an inverted one of those things. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, then. Yeah. I see why we had to come for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this happens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're worried about the number of people, but it doesn't take a big number of people. It just takes a number of people that have cultivated an air of fear, I think. And whether that is, you know, fear of the other, so you have to listen to me, or just fear of them. Like, you don't want to wake up in a closet somewhere where nobody knows who you are or where you are, do you? <laughs> right? I mean, right. so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm both with you and, and not. I mean, yes, I would say there is corruption in Starfleet intelligence. Um. And then, I mean, then the question is, like, where is the where is the failing or fault with everyone else? Is it, is it that they don't want to get involved? Is it that they're too afraid? Is it that they don't hold Starfleet intelligence, you know, to account for what Starfleet says it stands for and what the Federation says it stands for? Mm-hmm. Because he probably does have a lot. I mean, it depends. When he says he has a lot of friends, I mean, he's assuming that they're not just his friends because he's an admiral in Starfleet intelligence because he's about to run the risk of not being an admiral in Starfleet intelligence anymore. And then I wonder how many friends he actually has. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know. I I guess we'll have to wait until the sequel when we actually (laughs) see Riker go through that. Oh yes. The questioning Q and a, yes, that was a mini series. Wasn't it? That was like a four night epic mini series. It was like, uh, it was like judgment at Nuremberg, but different. It was yeah. like uh, it was like inherit the wind, but even more different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they should uh, they should do a special edition Blu-ray of that because I think we've probably all forgotten it by now. Yeah, it's true. Um, we could do it with puppets, though. We could reboot it. We could reboot it as a oh, puppet that'd be great. thing. Yeah, or it'd be great. Or animated, whatever. I'm not picky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another theme in this episode that is uh, really interesting: loyalty. Loyalty. It's it's uh, it's a tricky thing because it's expected. Um, Pressman expects loyalty out of Riker. Picard expects loyalty out of Riker. Um, and, and it's sort of understood that this is some part of the, the relationship that these officers would have among each other and with anybody in Starfleet. Um, but here it's used to manipulate. And, and obviously, I, I don't think that's something that is out of the question about how loyalty is used sometimes in the real world. Uh, duty and loyalty, above all else, are what Pressman wants out of Riker. And he, he's using that clearly to manipulate Riker's uh, uh, actions and feelings about this. Um, yeah, you could argue that it's uh, that it is hollow, but I, I think that Pressman actually believes that. It is self-serving, but I think he actually believes that, that that duty and loyalty are more important than literally anything else. Yeah. I mean, where it becomes difficult, though, is Pressman thinks that Pressman is right, and so he thinks that duty and loyalty should be paid to him, whereas Picard uh, thinks that duty and loyalty should be paid to the Enterprise. I mean, and Mm -hmm. that's what Picard says to Riker, right? Yeah. 
He's like, okay, well, you're going to leave me in the dark, and that's fine. You're going to leave me in the dark. I'm going to trust that you're going to keep the ship safe, and if you don't, I'm going to find a different first officer. This isn't, if you won't tell me, I'm going to bust you down. I mean, if things go okay, I mean, the problem is he's now flying blind, and he's not used to that from Riker. But what he chastises Riker for is not leaving him in the dark, but for possibly, you know, jeopardizing ship and crew. Mm-hmm. It, it's a different it's a it's a different yeah. sort of thing. I mean, well, witness again too that story about uh, Riker on the hood. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like quite a movie. Uh, yeah, right. Riker, really does, Riker yeah. on the starship hood. Um when when he would not let the captain go down because he was worried that, you know, the captain might die and that would jeopardize, you know, whatever. And and so that that Picard has always thought that that was a wonderful thing that Riker did, that he was more concerned about safety, that he was more concerned about the mission than he was about upsetting his captain, than he was about what it was going to look like on his record. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're very different, obviously very different in that respect. When Pressman talks about loyalty, he's just he's just talking about doing what he says. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I, I mean, Pressman isn't just a jerk senior officer in the tradition of Star Trek. You know, we, we've seen jerk admirals before. We, we've seen admirals who are kind of, well, just unpleasant, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but this this jerk admiral is an advocate for totally unethical behavior. He, he's dishonest. He's willfully violating a treaty. And like I said, he can't be the only one. Uh, there there has to be other people in the the upper levels of Starfleet know about this, too, because this operation didn't just happen out of nowhere. I, I guess what's so interesting and weird about this episode is that what usually happens on Star Trek is that someone does something questionable, but then if they're right, we say it's okay. This is sort of what happens with Riker at the end of this. You know, there's something questionable. He's sort of, you know, he's really being pulled in two directions, uh, but then he's right ultimately in the end. So it's going to be okay for Riker. Mm-hmm. That's why we're not going to have the four-part miniseries of Riker answering long questions at an inquiry. Um, Pressman is acting on belief too. You know, he's he's acting on what he thinks is right. And clearly there are other people at Starfleet who think that he is right as well. Now, the the end game could be horrible because, well, it could instigate a war. They are violating a treaty. This is all bad news for everybody. Um, but I, I, I guess there's something that really stands out about this because Pressman seems to be cut from a different cloth than the other... Well, admirals, commodores, et cetera, that we've seen. Kirk Kirk has it, has his arguments with commodores. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, this just seems to be a whole lot uh, darker. Darker. Well, disturbing. <laughs> D- deeper and conspiratorial and uh, undermining what we've seen of the Federation so far or of Starfleet so far. Yeah. I don't like where this conversation is going. <laughs> well, but it, it's, it, it's kind of the meat of the episode. No, I know. I just don't like it. Yeah. 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 Um, well. He's wrong. We know, yeah. we know he's wrong. And the problem is I know, I know that there are people listening right now who don't think that he's wrong. And he's wrong. And the end of this episode says that he's wrong. And he's not wrong because, well, he's wrong for the same reason that it would have been wrong to leave Balok. 
stranded in space. I mean, we say that we are one thing, and then we go and we do something else. Now, this is much more specific. We actually have a thing. Like, basically, the whole thing with Baylock was, okay, so be nice, right? You're seeking new life, new civilizations. And if you come across new life and you see that it's going to die, even if it was trying to kill you a minute ago, be nice, right? And so being nice might be, well, let's blow him out of the, you know, let's blow him out of space to, you know, to end his misery early. I mean, there are ways to interpret be nice. The Treaty of Algeron is we're not going to develop this technology, right? Mm -hmm. The words are written on paper. These are ones that we have made for ourselves and they should stand for something. And and as Picard said, Pressman should know that it's his job to uphold that treaty. It is his job to defend that treaty. And then where the problem comes in is if we don't stand for the words that we have written down on paper, then those words stand for nothing. So he's a reprehensible character, I think. Um, but then he's also reprehensible because he warps the minds of the easily led, right? Riker is seven months out of the academy. And, 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 and maybe Riker's just dumb at that point. Maybe Pressman hadn't done anything to press Riker into a particular kind of service for him. Maybe Pressman did not do that. Maybe Riker just thinks, my captain, my captain, and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. But 12 years later, he's still trying to indicate to Riker that feeling duty and loyalty to the Federation is synonymous with feeling duty and loyalty to Pressman. And the implication there would seem to be that if you question that loyalty, if you question those motives, questioning those actions, that's disloyalty at that point. And, And it's wrong for him to do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to side with a person over and against a set of ideals that are mutually agreed upon, you know, that are moral ideals that are that are written on paper that we've lived by for however many decades, um, ideas and ideals that call upon us to be our best to to say, well, follow me because, yeah, those things are cute. But I mean, we're into something real now. Those words are real as long as we treat those words as real. And, and, and to, to say to people, okay, we'll just ignore that for a minute, though, because we've actually got something important to do, that's wrong. And to do that to a kid, which Riker was for all intents and purposes, that's a special kind of wrong. And um, in the real world, it has a habit of happening over and over again. Yeah. Let me propose a, a question here. Okay. Are they, uh, by they... Um, I mean, the crew of the Enterprise under the under the direction of Captain Picard, are they justified in using a piece of illegal equipment to escape then? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next question. All right. <laughs> Here's the caller there. I'm glad you waited. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. I think so. I mean, for, well, I mean, uh, I don't know. That's actually, that is a tough question. I know I'm saying yes. Look, I mean, they, they get out of it. They, they make it okay at the end. I, I think Picard's decision at the end to reveal it is the right decision. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but now, well, I, news travels fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only does everybody in the Romulan Empire know about it, now everybody in the Federation is going to know about it, too. Well, that's great. You got a thousand, yeah, you got a thousand people on board who uh, who are going to make sure that, hey, you're never going to believe this. We we flew out of a rock. They're, they're, <laughs> you know? they're, they're with their Twitters. They're with their Instagrams. Yeah, they're with their, they're yeah. with their face hollow things. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're totally mm-hmm. going to tell everybody. Although I did wonder, yeah. like, you and I are down there peeling potatoes. Do you think we're like, whoa, that felt weird. Did you? Did you? Yeah, right. What was that? Right. Did, yeah, did you exactly. feel anything? Exactly. I think we, Again, no consultation. I think we moved no. like four meters, and that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, yeah. But but they were a tough four meters. 
I mean, it's easy for me to say yes. I mean, really what you're asking is do the ends justify the means? And I think what I'm supposed to say is no. <laughs> but. And it's but. kind of a problem. Okay, so, so, okay, but the ends are really good ends. I mean, because not only do they get out, which, first of all, they deserve to live, mm-hmm. but also uh, this, they're disinfecting part of the Federation at that point. Yeah, I mean, if they yeah. get out, and they, the first thing they do, I mean, maybe they should have called the Romulans early and said, okay, we have something to show you, and we really don't want you to freak out, and we would also really like it if you don't fire on us. <laughs> but watch this. Yeah, you know, call your high command, let them know, uh, stuff's about to get real, but we're trying to keep it unreal, so just, you know, hold tight if you would. I don't know, yeah, what do you, I, I what what do you do. think? Is it? I, I know what you, yeah, I got it, I got it. So they, they fly out, they keep going, they keep going. A day goes by, a week goes by, mm-hmm. a month goes by. The Enterprise is just so far away at this point, still under cloak. Uh, they destroy the cloaking device. They just get rid of it, pretend like it never uh, existed. And then and then that Romulan ship is still sitting there in that asteroid field waiting for the Enterprise to come out. Picard calls up Seral. So it's like, hey, hey, we're we're way over here. What are you still doing there? We're way over. What you, What's going on here? And Saral can be like, but you were trapped inside. Trapped inside what? What do you mean? We we were we weren't trapped inside anything. We were having a conversation. Uh, you disappeared at one point, and uh, and and we didn't think you were coming back, so we're gone. Problem solved. Just pretend like it never happened. Just erase all records of all of that. And then twelve years later, you admit to it, and everybody's like, "Well, <laughs> you finally fessed up." So, <laughs> way to go, Admiral Picard. Uh, uh-huh. How about some of that wine? With Admiral Pressman off to face the music, it is time to see what we can learn from the Pegasus. The Pegasus. That's the episode we're talking about now, and what we're talking about right this moment is the, uh, or are the, messages, morals, and meanings of the episode, and also figuring out whether for us this episode stands the test of time. Uh, Mr. Champion, the Pegasus, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? You know, it's funny, for the last 250 episodes of Mission Log, I kind of approached this section like, like an essay. You know, what, what am I going to say? How are we going to summarize this? How are we going to make a case for it, whether it's positive or negative? How do we put it into context? And this could be really short. Mm-hmm. Uh, it holds up. It is well produced. It is well acted. It keeps your interest. The scenes with Picard and Riker are fantastic. The scenes between Picard and Cyril are amazing. <laughs> They're just so good. Um, and and there's something... You've got drama and action, but you've got something meaty to chew on here. Even if it's something challenging that we may not come up with, um, you know, just a really solid final statement on this. Although I think we will. I think we're going to have good messages here. Um, they they play in this sort of ethical gray area and let you kind of go along Riker's journey until you realize what it is that Riker needs to do here. Although I, I don't think really we ever doubted Riker's dedication to the truth, but, but it is nice to sort of go along that journey with him. We know Riker's a stand-up guy. 
We just didn't know about Riker 12 years ago being a stand-up guy. Um, it, it's it's really well done. It, it, it's a well-made episode, and, and that's nice to see in this season. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I would actually say um, I would have to do a special mention, because you're right, the scenes between uh, Picard and Cyril are good. The scenes between uh, Picard and Riker are good. Um, I would have to give special mention, I think, to Jonathan Frakes. Because he actually, he is a different person when he is dealing with uh, Pressman than he is when he's dealing with Picard. And when he goes back into Picard and he won't talk to him, he can't talk to him, um, he is a different person in that scene as well. And and not like completely different. I mean, we're not talking about Sybil for crying out loud, but yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got a different bearing uh, than he normally does. And that's that's good acting. And um, I have to say, probably good direction on the part of LeVar Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he got to choose this script or if he got incredibly lucky. But I mean, there is just there's a tremendous uh, just even is it O'Leary is that his name I apologize I can't remember oh, um, Terry O'Quinn O'Quinn I'm sorry yeah. o- O'Quinn I mean is I mean I didn't watch a lot of Lost generally speaking when O'Quinn shows up he's kind of one note but it's a good note you mm-hmm. know I mean when he is cast properly um, it's just it, he's he's great and so in this episode I mean he he's cast perfectly for this character um you had scary Romulans because they weren't really trying to be scary. They were just, they were just scary. They, you know, they, they know they're scary. They're Romulans. So I'm not going to try to scare you. I'm just going to be here and be menacing. And, and that was honestly probably the scariest dealings with the Romulans since, uh, like I said earlier, since the balance of terror, um, which I think I've mentioned like nine times now for people who don't remember, that's the original (laughs) series episode where it's basically a submarine, you know, it's basically a submarine battle. Mark Leonard, first time we ever saw him played, uh, played the Romulan commander. And yes, it was a, it was a big battle. And if you haven't seen that one, you really should I think it was one of our 10 essentials, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was, Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, in all the ways that you were talking about this episode, I think absolutely holds up. Um, surprisingly strong for season seven. And I'm sorry to say it that way, but wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly strong for season seven. So yes. And, and it also comes, uh, it comes packed with message. John, uh, tell me some of the ones that you saw. <laughs> yeah. I, well, let's see. I mean, uh, there might be some sort of negative message here for one thing that, that uh, we're at our most inventive and creative when we're paranoid and preparing for war. Um, you know, you, you've got uh, Starfleet apparently cooking up this really advanced cloaking device that lets you fly through rocks. And um, we're, we're really intent on getting that piece of technology as well. So um, yay for invention. Uh, sorry, it's driven by this paranoid fear and uh, and direct violation of a treaty and the principle behind the treaty. So that that's unfortunate. But the very good message here, the obvious one, is uh, that honesty is the best policy here. There, there's Riker's dedication to the truth, and he is one to be admired for his uh, his change in this episode, his dedication to that truth. Um, but there's Picard's exposure of the truth to the Romulans. I mean, look, once the truth is known, everybody's on the same page. You, you kind of get to start over again. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's, that's nice to see here. Um, anything else you think in here uh, lurking as a message? Well, I mean, sort of along the same lines of um, honesty is the best policy. There's also uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you were joking about what they do is they turn on the cloaking device and they just fly away for like a week and then they come back and they're like, oh, what are you, what, what are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Picard was like, yes, decloak right in front of that other ship <sighs> because this stops and this stops now. Um, and the other message certainly is. I don't care how many, you know, uh, pips he has. I don't care what his badge looks like exactly. Um, loyalty to an individual and loyalty to an organization are separable. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody has attained a higher rank in that organization than you have, if they're doing something that is actually against that organization, if they're doing something that's actually against the words that are written down for that organization... And if they're belittling people who are doing things that actually live to those words, that's, 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 I'm going to go with that's wrong. I'm going to go mm. with this, this, uh, this uh, indicated that that is wrong. Now, I'm, I that's, think I'm gonna, uh, that's a nice, strong position for you to take. Yes. Well, I, I might change yeah, my mind in five minutes. It depends. Uh, okay. If somebody, you know, if, yeah. Rod, if Rod calls, <laughs> <laughs> I might fold like a cheap tent. There's one thing I will say really quickly, though. I disagree with you about, you know, sort of Starfleet being after this. I still think you're talking about a few individuals. I think there have been things that various governments have done in the past that if everybody in their government knew that that was a thing that was being done, there would be an uproar. Mm-hmm. And it might actually be stopped. And this goes back to the whole, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, honesty is the best policy. I don't feel like Starfleet is after this. I feel like there are some people inside Starfleet who are after this. And I think they've been given a wide berth. And that goes then back to the question of what we were talking about before. Are people afraid of, you know, Romulans and so they allow this to happen? Or are they afraid of this, you know, sort of weird, surprisingly military segment of Starfleet that we didn't know existed? Yeah. I don't feel like I don't feel like it means that Starfleet is rotten to the core. Uh, it certainly you could make the case that an organization has to keep a closer eye on itself. An organization has to be willing to question itself, even the parts that are scary, even the parts that say they're protecting you. You still have to I mean, you still have to be allowed to. And there may be times where you say, all right, I really don't like what you're doing, but I really need you to do it. But you can't just give it carte blanche to go off and do whatever it wants by itself, because here there be monsters. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, Roddenberry does all kinds of stuff, uh, not just the shop, not just the Roddenberry Foundation, but, uh, oh, podcasts. Podcasts? Yes, podcasts. Yes, yes. More than one occasionally. When did they start doing podcasts at Roddenberry Entertainment? Oh. Oh, so long ago. Um, so you can check out more about our show, plus uh, Women at Warp and Priority One, all at podcast.roddenberry.com. And if you want to help out our show specifically, you can go to patreon.com slash mission log. That's the place to do that. Uh, for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, we encourage you to check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Homeward. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com.
next week. We are sitting in railway stations with tickets for our destinations. We are Homeward Bound and Transmission.